Welcome to HivriaCast, the podcast where I, Alad Nehrai, speak with some fascinating and incredible creative Jews. Hello, welcome to episode two of the Hevria podcast, where we chat with creative Jews around the world in our little studio here at Klal. Uh, I have with me today Noah Lubin. I'm so excited to have, which was, <laughs> Noah was uh, one of my favorite, mu- or still is one of my favorite Jewish musicians. And it was funny because I only knew you as a musician at first, and you're basically a full time artist, right? Yeah, I don't know about full time, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's your. I do a lot of painting. Parnassa. Well, I'm a school teacher also. I've oh, always, really? Always been a school teacher. Yeah. See, I don't. Even, I'm just. I've known you for so long. I don't. I'm still I don't know either. <laughs> I can figure it out today. <laughs> I just wear, Can we hit? What do you think if we hit the lights? You want to hit the lights? Yeah, yeah. You want to yeah. sit in the dark? I'm to sit in the dark. Actually, you want to? <laughs> well, I just want to try because you have the hallway light. Let's see light. how we do. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah, the, the lights are buzzing. How's that look? Oh, that's great. <laughs> I love the vibe. Is this better? Much better. All right. Now I can hide. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Is, uh, is it because of the red eyes or what? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so you're, you're doing, you're like, it's funny because I actually heard of you before, you know, we even talked. I remember I had a friend who mentioned you while I was in Israel. He said, Noah's one of these guys who's just, he's constantly just like exuding creativity. He's always like in and out of it and just can't help but be creative whenever you're around him. And uh, it was really interesting because ever since then, like everything that I've discovered about you and talked about you, I kind of felt that. Um, well, you you, uh, <laughs> you make me feel famous, you know. You <laughs> put me in for interviews. And I tell my wife, she's like, all right, honey, you go change the baby's diaper. I was like, I'm famous, <laughs> man. A lot, a lot interviewed me. Dude, you are famous. Yeah. <laughs> Can't be a prophet in your own home, as the saying goes. No, but I, I, anyway, my point is, I appreciate you um, having interest in my my work and you know interviewing me and the, the stuff we've had over the years, invited inviting me. Of course, right, for different. Of course. So uh, tell me a little bit about how do you get into creativity, into music and and painting and. Um, I, I, I guess you have to go back to your upbringing, and I grew up in Rogers Park, West Rogers Park in Chicago, with some uh, interesting parents and friends. And um, you know, long story short, my mother was very involved in arts around Chicago, especially in the '80s. She was interested in multiculturalism and spreading multiculturalism through arts, um, which was considered a, a little more novel in the '80s, even. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did a lot of stuff with park districts and murals. And she got very friendly with artists all over, throughout the city. And she would bring them to our house and have meetings in our home. Um, you know, a dozen, sometimes 20 uh, musicians, painters, and people that she would have these meetings. And she did uh, city calendars and some art exhibits. And um, my father, she was a school teacher also. And my father worked in the government, but he was also involved in, he wrote a lot of poetry and he studied, he played drums, he studied Indian instruments, Sarod, and he was also involved in producing just local Chicago reggae music in the 80s. So you just grew up in a really creative atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, I look back on it for me, it was just upbringing and, um, (sighs) yeah, I mean, the story's a bit longer, but uh, I guess in some ways my, my upbringing was... Uh, unconventional ways that when I actually 
came to Jewish Orthodoxy, I found a certain uh, resolve. I was like, oh, you're really straight people. <laughs> That's what I thought, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you're normal. See, yeah. So you were trying to become normal. I was trying to become normal, yeah. Show. Hiding, hiding, you know, the black suit. I could, you know, hide, you know hiding in the dark. <laughs> like we are still not. trying. <laughs> still trying. So and my, and my mother always encouraged me to do arts. I would make drawings and throw them out, and she'd take them out of the garbage. Really? And she'd say, "You're going to be an artist." I said, "No, no, mom, I don't. Stop <laughs> imposing your dreams on me." And sometimes your parents know things better than you do. Wow. So when did you? So it's interesting. So you didn't grow up with a Jewish like well religious. We, I, I, well, I did also. I mean, I grew up in West Orange's Park, but right. Not to go too deep in the family. My mother had wanted to bring more Judaism into our home, and um, you know we went to shul times, and I, I did a, even a camp, camp Moshevah. Um, my sister had gone to Ida Crown for a short period. And my mother taught there, and my and my parents had some debate, to say the least, over religion, like a lot of homes. But we lived sort of on the the outskirts there of the Jewish community. Um, I just wanted to backtrack for one second. Besides the artists coming to my home, and I really appreciate this now. As a child, I always complained. You know, your mom's like, let's go on a road trip, and the kids are complaining. You know, I was complaining just like I try to take my kids, and they complain. But I think you look back and you appreciate it. My mother would take me with to artist studios a lot. Some of them became famous, and she, and I got to see a lot of artist studios. I'd drive around with her, wow. and I always complained. I said, "I'm tired. I don't want to go home." And she'd just like you know buy me some fried chicken and donuts and, oh. and drag me along. So that's really interesting. So what what combined? At what point did your religiosity combine with your art? Was it? A separate thing that you discovered, like, was the art something you discovered after you became religious, or was it something that was kind of part of the experience of becoming religious? Yeah, I, uh, it just sort of weaves in and out. I think a lot of us have this idea that, that, at least when we try to ask questions or understand ourselves, we try to create a sense of story, a linear story, and as we all know, that life's more complex, and you have certain impulses that appear and reappear, disappear. So... I guess um, when I started more formally painting and doing, I always did drawings, mm -hmm. uh, but maybe when I was about 18, 19. And, and throughout the years, those years on and off, I was interested in, in Judaism, just not sure why. There wasn't, there wasn't no, any epiphany at some moment. And it all sort of culminated. I went to college and I, in Chicago, and I, I studied philosophy in undergrad. And then I graduated and thought some really, really deep thoughts about unemployment. <laughs> <laughs> so <check this. laughs> and then I, I always liked that one. It was on some sitcom or something. And, uh, you know, what's your husband doing? He's thinking deep thoughts about unemployment. Don't bother him. <laughs> and anyway. I know um, about that. Yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> I went to Israel. I'm uh, <laughs> just jumping all over the place. Um, That's your point, right? It's not linear. Yeah, yeah it's not linear. Oh, there you go. You saved me. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. Um, you know, I went to Israel, went to Birthright, yeah. different things. And um, I think one of the big things, which maybe sounds a bit strange, but I, I believe this is a, yeah. a, a motivation for a lot of people, is I actually was like, I got to marry a Jewish girl. Really? Maybe, yeah, maybe I'll find one in Shul. So I started going to shul, to the Sephardi shul. There was a bunch of old Sephardi guys. <laughs> and there weren't any girls, but I thought maybe they have a daughter somewhere. 
That's I, why I, you started. I hung around hoping they'd invite me. Out. They never invited me. I think they smelled it. They're like, watch out for that dude. It's like standing over there. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's what you got you interested. Yeah, and I sort of believe that a lot of, especially Bali Chuva, uh, become observant uh, because of relationships, because of broken relationships, broken families, broken hearts. And... Wow. Um, you know, for a lot of reasons, they're not like, well, you know, I, I need a crutch. I'm, I'm wounded, but they try to find a different uh, philosophy and idea of life. Um, you feel like that's what happened with you? Well, partly. I was always interested in religion. My father was very interested in Vedanta, uh, mystical sect of Hinduism. When I was growing up, and he'd play these tapes around the house and stuff. So the conversation was always there, and. Uh, you know, it was just part of community experience. He went to shul, was interested in this and that. And, um... It's so interesting, because I know, like... I don't know, you, you're touching on all these different topics, like, that you got into it because... Or it, it seemed like it gave you some structure, but also, on the other hand, you thought that it helped you kind of repair past stuff. And it's funny, because I guess for me, becoming Balchuva. You know, I always kind of was very reactive against people saying stuff like that because I was always like, what does that mean? That there's something wrong with me that I became Balchuva? Like, no, I found something that there's some truth in it. But it's so interesting because no matter what, I tend to see a lot of the p- patterns that you're describing as well, like including with myself. Like I, you know, a few years before I be- like started down the road, I had like a near-death experience and blah, blah, blah. Hmm. And, you know, I just... I don't know. I'm like it's. I'm personally at this place of really, kind of re-encountering why and and what brought me to here. And and there's just so many questions that I think. I think artists like not to like. I mean, I guess to kind of circle back. I I feel like artists are kind of are kind of required in a sense to delve into these questions more than maybe someone who you know, chosen is just not necessarily trying to re-examine everything, you know? Does that make sense? Like, I feel like artists, part of our job is to kind of constantly examine our own lives and what we're doing. And I guess I'm I'm kind of going through that myself, so I wonder, you know, how much you've kind of, you've experienced that. Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I feel there's a lot of, a lot of people are reflective, even sort of non-artists, or in some sense, everybody's an artist with a creative right. impulse, and they express it in, right. you know, uh, in certain ways. <clears throat> but um, I, I don't think there's an easy answer. I think sometimes <clears throat> there's even superficial reasons. You know, you start going to somebody's house, and you like Shabbos, you like Chaland. You know, it's experiential, yeah. and some people need some argument or discussion. Uh, I still have this skeptic in my mind. Um, so I, I'm not one to sort of find definitive arguments for things. I'm interested in experience. I'm interested in, in sort of the poetry that I found within the experience. And my and I sense my own personal sense of truth is experienced through, you know, relationships, community experiences, and certain ideas instead of just uh, logical arguments. Interesting. So for you, it has a lot to do with relationships and... Do you mind, like, going more into that? What do you, what do you mean exactly by that? Um, like, what kind of relationships have helped you deepen that connection or understand that connection more? 
Well, I, well, I think a lot of people are drawn to the sense of community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're drawn to this idea that history is a story and that they're part of history, right? Maybe amidst their their, their sense of alienation, they come they come to these. Uh, and I like. Uh, you know that Judaism had that I was drawn initially at Judaism as this community with a sense of history, with a sense of culture, and these things happen more organically for people throughout time. And about Shuva, sort of a glitch of the system. You know, people sort of grew up in communities and did what their parents did. Hmm. And of course, there was a connection, somewhat of the connection of that for me, having grown up in, grown up in Rogers Park. But um, I was like a lot of people. I sort of idealize it somehow. Also within Judaism, you know, there's this home and community, and things will work out. Right. You know, and then at the end, you're you're still left encountering people, mm. and you realize even within the midst of those communities, that sometimes human relationships become more complex. Right. Because cultural issues of discussing certain topics. Right. Um, but do you feel like you're? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No. You feel like you're like an outsider of the community now or insider? Like, what, what do you feel like? Yeah, I, I think we're, I speak for all of us and myself. I, th- I feel that we're all orphans. And that in orphans, um, you, you find a home, but you always feel a little bit out of place. You know, just because it's just part of our makeup, I think some people hide it from themselves better than others. And I think some of us uh, have to, we have to come to a place of embracing it which I know you've tried greatly to do through your work. But yeah, Tinek Shanishba is the term people use, and I feel like an orphan. And uh, I'm one of those people also that's always, you know, what, are, you a, you know are you a da-da-da or a zazaza? Which group are you in? <laughs> and, they, you know, it's like they're into baseball. They want to know stats. And what team are you on? I said, look, man, yeah. I'm the guy in the bleachers. No, but um, <laughs> tossing food at people. No, but um, you know that kid's book, Are You My Mother? Yes. Yeah, I love yeah. that book. So that's you know, like, that's so funny. We have a writer on Hevria, Rachel Spangenthal, that wrote a piece. Oh, did she? Based on that, yeah. Like so it was like one of her first pieces. I think she actually put on com. But yeah. anyway, sorry. So, that's you, like a, that's like a so you're saying like, yeah, we're like, we're like that. That's a deep book. It's a Kabbalah safer, you know? <laughs> Mother, talking about Ima, you know, Dina, Malchus. No, yeah. but there's this, um, this, this bird looking for its home or its relationship with its mother, its sense of home and all these things. And I... yeah. <clears throat> I feel that's the whole world in a sense, and that you know the people people search for themselves in different ways. And the story of Balchuva, story of myself, is uh, though it's a unique arena, is similar to what many people in their own lives do. They try to discover themselves, and um, and I feel that's connected to the story of exile within Judaism. Yeah. That that we use the word exile a lot, but you know, exile and redemption, these ideas, you know, we're, we're waiting for some moment in history, but the, there's the microcosm within ourselves and discovering ourselves within our life through relationships, through art. Um, and I think a story for, for me, like others, is the story of getting interested in Judaism as a, uh, we, it was a sort of arena where I, where I was able to sort of encounter myself in more meaningful ways. Huh. And then I feel that, that truth is a very personal meaning, and I sort of, it's not that I'm a relativist, I just feel that truth happens through metaphor and symbols, and I don't believe it can be communicated in easy, uh, logical arguments, and I kind of, I sometimes steer away from those people. Yeah. 
do you think that has to do with being creative? Like, cause it's interesting cause you kind of like, I don't know. Th- this is my personal feelings. I feel like I was going to ask a leading question, but I'm just going <laughs> to give you my opinion. Uh, I, I think that people who are creative, I don't think they necessarily have to be artists, but people who are creative tend to draw more to that sort of perspective of like not wanting to fit within a team exactly or not, or being drawn away from the team constantly to a certain extent because um, I just, and I know, I know that that might be, I, I, I'm sure I'm generalizing a lot, but it's one of the things that I keep seeing over and over again. I see people that think, tend to think outside, like think outside the box, I guess. Maybe it would be a better way than saying creative. Um, are people, you know, are naturally people that kind of are in touch with that reality. You mean why are we artists weirdos? I, I don't know. I, you know, it's interesting because, you know, it's funny because we started that Facebook group. You remember we start, like, started Hevria Book and yeah. whatever it was, this Facebook group for creative Jews and... Uh, and we had this whole discussion there when we first launched, like, cause I said, this is a place for weird Jews and everyone got like upset with me. Well, not everyone, but a few people got okay. upset with me cause they were like, they're like, we're not weird. We're, you know, everyone's weird and blah, blah, blah. It's my whole question. Like, is everyone actually weird? <laughs> or there's some people that are actually weird. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and I can't help but feel, I guess maybe that's just something I'm going through myself right now, but I can't help but feel that. No, there actually are people that are weirdos, you know? I mean, and not that it's a bad thing. I, I embrace that personally but i can't help but feel that i don't know I yeah mean, i mean i i i think there's the, the stereotype and somewhat the reality that artists are a little strange they're sometimes vain or even narcissistic uh um you know i've struggled with my own vanity but th- there's something interesting about vanity in an artist is that <clears throat> in order to want to get on the stage it takes a little bit of vanity, so it comes with the territory. Uh, just like sometimes to be a businessman, you you know you have to be a little pushy. Um, the, the problem with artists sometimes is that they don't know where the stage ends. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like you know, Uncle Larry's house, and they think the stage is still open. But um, right. our, our, yeah, artists sometimes are, you know, certain personalities that are maybe socially awkward and, and stuff, and. Um, and then part of what we consider creativity, I happen to think all, obviously all people are creative. And, uh, even you know, people, stay-at-home mothers, for instance, are creative. They use creative thinking in the way they right. plan, plan their space. But that um, creative people sometimes think in metaphors and nonlinear ways and associative thinking. They make certain connections and uh, makes them a little quirky. Yeah. Um, I guess, like, uh, part of the reason I'm just bringing up all this stuff is because I always found your work to be, like, really uh, not as dependent on social norms as much. I'm talking about, like, Jewish social norms as much as other artists that I've seen. And I always found that to be amazing, especially with your music. That was part of the reason that I was drawn to it so quickly. It was because it was so... I mean, at least you were one of the first, like, folk... Jewish musicians that I had heard are in that style. And um, I guess that was, that was part of the reason I asked you that and was talking to you about it is because I I get that, I definitely get that like sort of loner weirdo, and I'm saying this all in the positive <laughs> way, vibe from you. And that's, that's like why, well, something that's why I, I turn did. the lights off. You know, so you yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hide from you. <laughs> right. I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm, tr- I always am trying, and I'm very, I remember once I was at Baruch Nachshon's, place and my wife and I started trying to talk to him about what it means to be a Jewish artist and he just he like 
<laughs> he like literally just told us to shut up <laughs> and he didn't want to talk about it. He's like, I don't know. Leave me alone. <laughs> He's like, I just paint, you know? And uh, it's funny because I guess with me, I'm always trying to find like the theory of Jewish creativity, the, the unifying theory of Jewish creativity, but maybe there isn't one. Yeah. I mean, uh, like everything with words have different meanings to different people. It's like the word art. Right. You know, uh, it's like, well, what if you throw it out for a day? I mean, one, it's, it's an English word. And, right. and what we call art, when, for instance, when we go to a museum even and we look at these things called paintings, um, you know, they were all created with a similar medium, but they had very different meanings and different historical contexts, right? Some, when they painted Yashka, were considered religious symbols to awaken people. And then some are, you know, expressionism are about some artist's personal angst, you know, with the medium of paint and right. what we call them all painting. And we have this word called art or creativity to try to, as if we're talking about a single experience, but we know that the experience is quite vast. Um, and just a few things. To go back to my music, for instance, I grew up loving, um, you know, soul, blues, and even gospel. I love I love Mahalia Jackson. She's one of my favorite old blues singer named Bessie Smith. And all the Alan Lomax Smithsonian recordings. And I liked flamenco music. I liked roots music. Huh. that I considered to be authentic. And it wasn't like, you know, take 40, say I love you like you mean it. <laughs> you know? It's like, I said it, man, first take. <laughs> you know? And, you know, and some of these recordings with trains in the background, I found them very real. And uh, when I when I was interested in Judaism, uh, it, it, at first, maybe like Matis Yaw or Levi Rabin, you know, I made the connection. I said, oh, you know, these stories, I heard them in blues songs. Mm. I wasn't, I, I didn't have some intention of bridging anything. I just thought I want to, sing my gospel version of, you know, whatever. And I know Matis Yao found that within reggae music, and people forget right. how religious reggae music is. Yeah. Just, you could just Wikipedia, you know, Rastafarian, read a little bit on it. Um, and then in painting, I just, I'm still always exploring, experimenting. And I guess what some people call Jewish art, of course, they mean ostensibly, right? There's a guy with a violin and a goat. <laughs> And you make sure you have keepers on them because then he's fry and he's not Jewish, you know. And I was like, dude, nobody. First, I never met a Jewish guy who plays violin, at least not religious. And they sure as hell play on roofs. <laughs> and if they do, there's no goats around. Like, what do you, you know? Uh, and everybody goes back to Mark Chagall and they forget how many J painters were Jewish, modern painters and stuff. Mark Rothko and Frankenthaler, I think. A lot, a lot of painters. <coughs> and I didn't want to just paint icons and stuff like that. I think I did a little bit because it becomes, um, no offense to people who do, I, I certainly, res I, I should try to show respect to all creatives or painters, but there's an element of propaganda and I didn't want to paint posters. Mm. And I feel that some of the, some of the biggest challenges to let's say painting, and uh, <laughs> I have been guilty of both, and I'm sorry myself out, is kitsch. People are always afraid of, you know, just being kitschy or colorful just for the sake of. And the other one is propaganda. Mm. You know, you, so the kitsch is about the, the aesthetics, the beauty and the emotions. But somehow it wasn't deep enough. And then the other one is, well, let me create a philosophy. But they get too much into just worrying about the idea. Mm. And that good art or good painting has to do with the marriage of both idea and the visceral. And um, there's no easy formula to it. Right. But so, so what Jewish art is, is I, I don't know. Depends who you ask. If you ask me, I, I don't know. I just, maybe some days things show up where I, I paint right. Jewish themes. That's awesome. I mean, 
Well, it's interesting that you bring up reggae, just because for me that was also something where I actually, before I was religious, I first became aware that this, of this idea that art could be religious in a sense uh, or spiritual, I guess, through reggae. Um, and you know, one of the things that always amazed me about reggae was that it was something that's like for anyone that's learned about it, it's one of these things that organically seem to come out of just their spiritual lives. Like not that it was always necessarily a spiritual theme, like just like with your painting, but there was something organically spiritual about it, you know, just like gospel and and reggae music. Yeah. And reggae. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Especially if you go back even to the African roots of it and everything, like it was so connected to spirituality. And, uh, I don't know, I guess that's something I always felt I, or I feel like Bali Shuva are just starting to tap into that on a Jewish level. Like, how do we make something like organic, like an organically religious? Not just, you know, I think that's the issue a lot of times with propaganda or with like iconic iconography and all these things that they tend to be a superimposed thing on top of a style, as opposed to, you know, coming from underneath and and doing something in a style that is because it's religious. You know, there's something like with reggae, like random things like shaking their dreads while they sing is like a religious act and, and these sorts of things. Um, and I guess, I guess that's, that's the thing that for me, at least if we're talking about like Jewish art, um, I feel makes it, I feel like it's something that's just starting to be tapped into uh, yeah. in the Jewish world in the Orthodox Jewish world, I would say. I don't know. Sometimes I like I like that you know like the, the Hasidic music they play in Muncie with like the kids singing. <laughs> I like you know I feel that's sort of authentic in ways. Right, but, right. That's a good call. The, well, the one the, you know a lot of artists simply painted their life, and um, and it just came through as authentic. You know they they painted the people in their life and they were in the same community of Jewish people, so they painted them. Right. And I, I think the one answer is if you know you you want to just paint that experience, then go into the experience mm. and get more into the, the world around you, and hopefully it'll show up in your painting. Right. Not have to think about it too much. But there is always a different story. We look at Chagall's paintings, but even with Chagall, there was a, 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 a commercial element. He painted a variety of paintings, I think, and he did some Judaic-type paintings, and I think his agent was like, you know, you know paint some more of that Jewish stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yep, there's a little bit of this. Well, but obviously, you know, his paintings have a sincerity and honesty that we see. Um, so a creative person has a lot of avenues of expression, um, and sometimes, you know, they might have to focus on one. But um, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I you know, for me, I so maybe besides this sort of doing this, you know, I love the Basquiat. I think in the beginning I was trying to do these Basquiat type Judaic paintings. Like, yeah. like a lot of people, I'm sure, have tried also. But you know, it's paint a rabbi with, you know, with uh, you know, spray paint and dripping here and. You know, a bunch of smiley faces. Everyone looks a little happy and crazy. But 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 the, the inner experience for me, the process of painting was really sort of tapping into my own inner child. It's sort of it's a place of joy. And I think when when you say inner child or sometimes, you know, that, that, that guy seems childish, I mean, he's probably a creative person. It's not that we we haven't grown up. It's that what the inner child is is this wellspring of, of joy and creativity. Wow. Of exploring you know, without without boundary. And of course, like many people, one of my favorite stories is The Little Prince. And uh, I suspect somebody had written, has, has written this, but my, I didn't see it anywhere, but my, my understanding of the book is this, this person who ends up you know, trying to be, make these drawings, and then he shows the adults, and they don't understand it. 
And they tell him, you know, stop this art stuff and get serious. And then he crashes in the desert. And his crashing is basically a midlife crisis, an identity crisis. And who does he encounter in the desert but this child, which I, I think of as his, his, his lost inner child, his, dis, his dis, disassociated self. What I really love about the book is he, this drawing that he shows people in the beginning of this hat. Of this hat. Mm-hmm. And the, you remember? And he draws this. He draws I a, actually have never read the book. Oh, I I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> I know I can't even. I have no defense. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Everyone tells me to read it all the yeah, time. Yeah, that's a beautiful just, book. <laughs> but you're giving um, me the you're giving the summary. So uh, I, 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 just I, like I, a I, listener I, wouldn't be yeah, able so, to. So the beginning, of this is boring. He decides <laughs> to make a drawing, and he draws a an elef- a snake eating an elephant. So there's the elephant and the snake here. So it looks like a hat. So he shows the adults, and they say it's a hat. He goes, no, nobody gets it. Hmm. It's an elephant. It's a snake eating an elephant. And they're like, listen, you got to, you know, you don't have any future in drawing, kid. It's time mm-hmm. to grow up. So he takes his drawing, and he, he keeps it in his pocket as he grows up. Mm-hmm. And he says, every time I meet somebody who seems like it might be interesting, he's like, psst, psst, come on, I want to show you something. He's like, check this out. And he shows him this drawing, and he says, what is this? And they're mm-hmm. like, that's a hat. He's like, no, you know, he, it was his way of testing people, you know, uh, you know, do you still, do you still have imagination? And he crashes in this desert and who's he encounter as a sort of, you know, mythic, uh, boy who shows up. He says, you know, I forget the order, but he says, yeah, he says, Hey, you, you know, <laughs> you know, draw me a sheep. Mm-hmm. He's like, why in the middle of a desert? And anyway, he pulls this drawing out and he shows this boy and he says, what do you think of this drawing? I think he shows the drawing first. He says, what is that? And finally, the first time in his life, he says, ah, that's a snake eating an elephant. Mm. And I saw there's this moment of him reconnecting with his, his, his disassociated self, his inner child. And anyway, the story is this, this lost prince that travels around to these different planets and meets grown-ups, the businessman, the, the this, the that, and they, they sort of give him this you know, worldly logical advice of, you know, stop dreaming, boy, and get to work. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And uh, well, you have to read the book to see how it unfolds. But mm-hmm. it's it's a story of uh, you know all of us having to grow up, and 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 the way we've been raised, the way we grew up, we had to sort of uh, separate some part of ourselves. And and I feel that the people that appear to be stranger, people that appear to be artists, more outwardly, or sometimes people who are able to hold on to that spirit and keep trying to access it. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's funny just because, yeah, that's really interesting. I, I, I always find that interesting just because. Even the guys who play yeah. death metal. Really? No, 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 Tell me why. Huh? Tell me why. No, okay, because they're the angry kid, okay. You know? <laughs> right. You're going to scare me, you're just the angry kid. But, you know, there's this. Right. They're still trying to get in touch with some part of themselves, and, and they can't do it just through conversation and talking. They have to do it through uh, symbolic acts. What painting is, what music is, is these creative symbolic acts, which just can't be communicated in, in more easy ways, like conversations. Right. And, um, and I think why people enjoy art is we go to museums, we go to look at, we, we go to look at paintings, we go to look at a poem to sort of discover our own, uh, our own lost self, our own forgotten words. And we say, you know, can you help me? We read a book to say, yes, you've spoken the words I've been meaning to speak. Mm. And um, 
I, I, in a way, I call this, you know, I call it symbolism or symbols. And you know, it's so interesting. I remember when I was living in, or when I was in yeshiva in Israel, uh, my friends and I would go to this like heavy metal bar just because we became friends with some of the Israeli guys there, and they're these Israeli like hardcore like uh, metal musicians. Like I have no personal interest in that kind of music, but we just started to hang out with them, and I remember like being so fascinated because. These were guys that played like the craziest music. They were telling us some of the names that are not even like, I can't even repeat them, like of their music and, and that sort of thing. And I remember being so blown away because they were so nice. Like they were so calm and collected and kind of in touch with themselves. That's, that was a feeling I got from them. And it always amazed me because it seems such an, so in contrast with like the music that they do. And what you said kind of remind me of that because I think there's, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll be, I'll write a piece that my, you know, people will be in touch with me afterwards and be like, are you okay? <laughs> like, what? Like, is I'll write something that's really depressing or really about a depressing moment or something like that. And they'll be worried about me. And, I, and I'll be, you know, what's funny about it is I'll be like, no, I feel like, usually when I express something like that, I actually feel really good because it means it's almost like, I don't know if it's therapy exactly, but it's, it's more like we're letting out something deep within us. That's incredibly healthy, I think. Um, I don't know. I think there's something really powerful about this idea. That it's the inner child. I wasn't. I never. I don't know. I, I guess I've heard that idea a lot, but I haven't thought about it in a while. That sort of idea. Yeah, and I, I said it over in the sense of me being playful, but the inner child is is just the child is this image of um, carefree, open. Right. Uh, you know. But I, I I had an art studio once actually in a building where they all it was all metal bands. Uh-huh. And the whole, it was just painting. It was really hard because it was just like, you know, <laughs> these guys are just, they were talking to Satan through the walls. And, wow. was like, and then I met him and they're the nicest guys. Uh-huh. And then I was just wow, telling that's so about interesting. this today. Well, it's funny, you look at Jimi Hendrix, you know, he was wild on stage, he had his guitar yeah. on fire, whatever. And you see interviews with him and he's so timid. Right. You see Prince who's, you know, he's whatever. You know, he's, he's a sex god. And you see mm-hmm. him, he's this guy that's, you know, four foot ten. And he's actually religious and kind of quiet and talks mm-hmm. real soft on stage. Um so they, you have this, sometimes the performer has an alter ego or there's a part of himself that he wants to express through creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, my father used to always say, assuming he read the book correctly and assuming I understood correctly, there was a, a, a student of Freud named, named Otto Rank, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, whatever, he wrote a bunch of books, but my father said one of these ideas that, that Otto Rank felt that that the artist is, is partly neurotic and he's trying to resolve himself through the act of art mm-hmm. and that when he finally becomes more whole, he actually stops creating. Really? Yeah. I get whatever, this, the psychoanalysis, I don't know what this means, but, <laughs> but you know, that part of the creative act is this, uh, you know, um, us trying to keep digging or t- chasing our tail or something and mm. trying to discover ourselves and... <sighs> I think in this, the Jewish story of this idea of exile and redemption that it ties in very, very neatly. Um, you know, just to go back, my understanding of some of these books in English I've read even on this idea is that, you know, the first act of exile happens within God, that he separates a part of himself. And that's how creation happens. And the tzimtzum is, you know, so to say, he breaks, God breaks his heart. He, he creates a space for something else to exist. So he separates himself or he disassociates himself. We call it exile. And then this is mirrored within the narrative of, narrative of Adam and Eve, and, or, you know, Shvera Sekalim, and then Adam and Eve within the human story. 
And then it ties down into history of the Jewish people trying to find a place. But, you know, obviously we, th- we see through Hasidus uh, these ideas that it's mirrored within the individual. And that there's, you know, there's an aspect of Mashiach within each of us, an aspect of exile and redemption. And, and we all have our own uh, life story of trying to, uh, you know, make it to the Holy Land mm. and discover who we are and to come out of darkness. And um, uh, coming out of darkness is becoming conscious, becoming aware, becoming integrated, uh, becoming associated with parts of ourself. And I feel that the creative act Maybe some, maybe it mirrors God's initial creative act. Is us trying to, you know, struggle to f- to to find light in the darkness. To that we we can't just access through linear thinking and linear conversations. We have to do these strange acts to try to reveal or unveil certain parts of ourselves and discover parts of ourselves for parts of the world. Hmm. And um, I guess that you know, if you want to say what you know, what makes art Jewish. I could stretch it and maybe say that that idea a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's, it sounds almost like that's what what life is. That's yeah. what a life is, yeah. Also, I, you know, um, do you think that that? So we're talking so much about like the own personal experience. Like, do you think that that then affects other people? You know, when art is expressed in that way and is is doing that sort of thing, do you think that affects? Like, does that help others or in that same like sort of exile? Yeah, I, I, I don't even know. And this isn't even to say that. Let's say I do this, that I I can't even say whether I make good art or bad art. I just know that my the process is an attempt, right? You know, to try to access some other part. Mm-hmm. And I I think people do look to that. We people like art. They like museums. They like music. They're drawn to it to try to access things that can't be understood in more simple ways. And, um, yeah, I, I lost my thought for a second. <laughs> but, um, well, no, it's just interesting because, you know, you were talking before also about how, you know, when we express something, someone will, go, will then, it'll be kind of what other people wish they had expressed or something like that. And, you know, I can't, like, at least with my own writing, one of the most powerful things for me is seeing kind of the reflection back of other people who are like, yes, like, I feel like that too. Yes, I've experienced that. Um, I don't know how it is. I I imagine that there are similar things with painters and musicians, um, especially music, I would imagine. But, like, I just think, you know, I think there's, you know, the aspect of ourselves and, and all these things, but I just think... You know, as well, like I think there's some aspect of Jewish creativity that helps uplift others in a way that, like, let's say, like a shear can't do. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I. Th- I, mean, I mean, the whole world's a mirror in a sense, right? And especially your your spouse is the closest mirror. Right. And um, speaking of not being a prophet, yeah, we 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 try to awaken each other. Yeah. Um, you know, because you know, okay, well, fine, there's a part of us that's just they're just animals. You know, I could eat, I could sleep, I could die. Right. But we do these things that don't really make sense within just the scientific explanation. Why do I have to make a painting? Because it's fun, because it brings me joy. You know, why do, we, why do we have these museums, you know, with all these icons? We keep walking around looking at them, and a painting's a very strange thing, you know? It's this rectangular box, mm-hmm. and especially a portrait, it's like a head in a box. But we, we get into it, we're like, yeah, there's a person. I'm like, no, that's a, 
that's a 2D image of a head inside of a rectangular box. It's a strange <laughs> object, but, but we find a symbolism in it. Right. Well. And uh, I love modern art a lot, and I was just thinking I went to the Armory Show. The thing that a lot of people make fun of modern art, which started in the late 1800s and went up to maybe 1960 or something, then they start calling it contemporary art, whatever. I'll go through <laughs> it. But modern art, they're like, look at it. You know, they, my kid can do that. And the answer is yes. Um, but can you? And they'll say, no. I said, that's right, because you grew up to be the adult and you disassociated that part of yourself. And part of. Wow, that is. Yeah, great. so they always say, my kid can do it. So you have to ask, and that's fine, but can you? You know, and <laughs> that's hard. I mean, there's a certain bravery and being that creative artist, and a, sort of a sort of maybe cynical, quick explanation of what I see modern art to be is a lot of it, you know, Picasso, a lot of painters and people started trying to paint, mimic stuff they saw from Africa, from, mm. you know, primitive uh, cultures, and they also, and even stuff from the East. And I feel within, the, maybe within the Industrial Revolution, a sort of alienation of self mm-hmm. that happened, they kept trying to hold on to a freer spirit through painting like a child, through painting like <coughs> what they call a primitive, whatever, you know, they, I don't know if it's the PC word, but people who weren't uh, alienated in larger cosmopolitan cultures. And mm. it was basically grown men and women trying to hold on to a, a freer spirit. And sometimes they compromise the formalities of art and training in school for the sake of holding on to that spirit. Mm-hmm. And you, anyway, you see that a lot in modern art. Um, you know, the splattering and the dripping and the, the childlike looking stuff. Wow. That's so interesting. I love that idea of like, but can you? That's, that's like, that's amazing. That's so interesting because I, I, um, I talk about Brenda Uland all the time. <laughs> it's probably going to come up in this podcast a lot. About who? Brenda Uland. Have you ever heard of her? She's, uh, she wrote this book like in the 30s. She was like a beatnik writer in the 30s, and she was, I think she was pretty popular then, but I think she's mainly known now for this book called If You Want to Write, and it's really a book about creativity, and she talks about how you can get, there's a part in the book where she talks about how um, children, if you give them the chance to be absorbed in creativity, will get totally and utterly absorbed by it, and she was talking about how she sat while she got, she got some children to paint her, Um, like she was like, she offered to be the model for for a painting for these for these little girls, and they spent uh, something like three days painting her, and she was sitting for like hours and hours at a time, and they were just totally and utterly absorbed in this uh, in this experience. And I was, you know, and one of the amazing things about the description is like number one, you could totally imagine kids doing that, and number two, you can totally, I at least cannot imagine myself doing that at all. Yeah, you I know? I took my kids I take my kids to my art studio. Uh-huh. I mean, within a split second. Like, they don't even ask, how do you do it? You know? <laughs> I mean, I, I got a lot of paintings. This is your son painting? It's my son and my daughter to the left. She's in camouflage. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, and so yours is in the middle? No, no. Oh, <laughs> wait, they did that? I, they, yeah, they did that. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, my God. But I... It's um, amazing. I'm going to be the middle one. I hope I wasn't insulting your art. It was, uh... <laughs> no, they paid better than me. <laughs> I actually, I got a kid's... I got a children's factory. That Here's the honest truth. I don't even paint. <laughs> yes. I don't even paint. My kids do it. But here, this look at this picture. Look, you know, she she was skipping around the studio when I first brought her. She was so happy. She's three years old. Oh my gosh! Wow, that is incredible. She didn't paint those. We I painted yeah. them with her, but we, I, you know, I said, "Oh, you should, did it with should her? we should we paint clouds?" And she goes, yeah. yeah. And um, wow, you know, I try to take my wife to the studio. She's like, "I don't know what to paint. What if I'm horrible at it?" They don't flinch. Wow. Right? And 
this idea of the inner child isn't about being immature, but it's about even if you're a, a serious artist that you tap into that space, which is free, <coughs> yeah. uninhibited, unjudgmental, non-judgmental. It kind of blows my mind that if you think about it, kids, almost all of what they do, especially the younger they are, uh, in terms of activities, is art, right? I mean, there's painting and drawing, and and even when they're learning to write, it's done through like an artistic process at first, you know, because they have to essentially draw a figure before they can memorize it as a piece of writing. And, you know, I have also, you know, toddlers as well. And it's just kind of crazy to me to see how much art they do. <laughs> and then, like, you know, the older they get, the less, well, at least, uh, you know, with modern education, like, the less they'll do as time goes on. And I, was, I just find that amazing because that's, like, the whole building blocks of their education is art. And... And it's and it and it makes sense because also it's like what you're saying they're naturally just totally absorbed by it. Uh, yeah, I mean, gotta read the Little Prince. My wife and I argue. And I, <laughs> I'm sure other people have said it, but the should I turn this off and read the Little Prince and <laughs> yeah, then back. get back? <laughs> the um, I, I think of of painting or drawing as as everyone you know everyone's first language. My wife says no music is oh, the voices, really? wow. but I I maybe. You know, babies make sounds, but I feel that maybe drawing something is... Anyway, whatever. Maybe they happen <laughs> at the same time. Maybe drawing is a form of singing. Right. But, you know, we, we're really drawn to images. And even though, you know, painting, right. maybe painting seems... You know, people are always afraid that painting is obsolete because look at the, the movie screen and look at all the images. We're always, we'll always be drawn to images and still images. Right. Cave paintings inside the Met, you know. Right. Uh, we like cave paintings when they show up in the subway. You know, this guy with the guy with the graffiti can still doing cave paintings. <laughs> you know, the kid in the sandbox. It's like, oh, that's you know, a little antelope down in the you know the, right. the French caves, wherever they. And we we like drawing through an image, and I I feel um, maybe sometimes as hum humans because we really th we really think through images. You know, right. images are important, and images are. You can't always just, just, you know, images are like metaphors. They, they can say a lot within a single moment. You know, right. I, my father used to say, when I was, you know, dabbling in philosophy when I was 20 in college, he's, my father wrote poetry, and he said, you know, philosophers are jealous of poets. I said, why? <laughs> he said, because po a poet can say truth on one page, and he doesn't have to explain himself. And a philosopher hmm. goes on for 500 pages. And I feel that sometimes the artist, a good artist, can create an image, a single image, <coughs> A single song, you know, redemption song, you know, something mm. short that everybody goes, yes, mm. I don't need a two hour lecture, like, just, just put that song on again, you know, <laughs> right. and that's, that's the power of art or good art. And I think we all long for it and try to tap into it and we need it. Yeah, totally. That's so amazing. I mean, I, it's funny cause I always joke about how I'm jealous of musicians because musicians have this ability to just go straight to the heart like right away and painters have this ability to go straight to the like you're describing the eyes and the mind right away and writing always feels like to me at least like essay writing and nonfiction writing feels to me always like I'm kind of taking a windy road into someone's heart and um I don't know I find it like this idea that we can really access something elemental about people in a moment is, is incredible, especially if you look at it from a religious lens. Because I think 
the idea that we not not to put down philosophizing, but the idea that like you would only need, you know, logos like left brain thinking in your life is kind of based off this idea that there's not a part of us that is elemental in a sense that is and that because it's elemental um matters on an essential on a on a it's not something to only be overcome it's something to be embraced you know and uh i don't know i guess for me that's one of the reasons i think that spirituality has to be married to art for it to really be or vice versa i think that art needs to be attached to spirituality for it to be truly like truly accessing who we are. There was a philosophy book I tried to read through on art by a guy named Dewey, and it's called, uh, I think, Art and Experience. And mm-hmm. the gist of it is that he, he sort of feels that genuine art has to happen, you know, you know with, with, with aborigines or within children. It has to happen within a certain context, and that a lot of things we call art, like in the museum, were taken out of natural natural context of which they were created and of which their meaning was created mm-hmm. and they're turned into let's say commodities or symbols of history and he says that changes the meaning of them and i think a lot of times our, our biggest we have a certain battle you know we, we in, our, in our day and age when we want to talk <coughs> about art um is meaningful but the problem is we're caught between the, the spiritual quality of it and then seeing it as an object of value and commodity and and the truth, the truth is that the the genuine spiritual value of art doesn't have any any price tag on it. Hmm. And just because something has a price tag on it doesn't mean that it's important. But we we have a very hard time separating the two, and we do this with everything, with money. I mean, even a, in a you know man's sense of self, if he makes this much, he's worth this much. If he makes this much, he's worth this much. There's a tremendous exile that we all have, you know, my that our happiness is measured by this. But just to go back, so even art, so. You know, we're used to seeing art within, you know, within the commercial side of it, in magazines, and TV, and this and that. And mm. to just go back and say, man, I, can we just make a real crappy painting tonight, man? Like, I just want it to be the worst thing ever. And go, yeah, and just have a lot of fun because that, yeah. the, the truth of creativity, <clears throat> is a birthright that belongs to everyone. Mm. And I think sometimes people say, man, I wish I could paint like Picasso, but the truth is, you can, and you could, you could write like Hemingway, because. The true wealth of their experience happened just with, you know, Picasso with the paintbrush in front of a canvas. You can access that. The fact that it sold afterwards for a lot of money had nothing to do with his experience. And same as the writer. Okay, he got published, but you you can access that, that uh, that 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 human heritage, of creativity. And you, it doesn't matter if it's a good or bad. Just do it. And uh, and you can you can live and experience that same space that great artists have. And that's what true art is. And what happens afterwards and how it becomes history or objects of value is something separate in a way. And I think we have to see that and just and value things for what they are as part of human experience within the simple context of like, you know, communi- communication and exploring self. It's kind of ironic, I think, that, you know, we... You know, we were talking earlier about how religious art a lot of times can tend to be like propaganda or iconography or these sorts of things. It's ironic just because like the way what you're describing is so, I don't know, it sounds at least to me so spiritual. Um, I just make this stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> can we scratch it? Say, say, you got to hit the lights as soon as I'm done, I'm going to tell you. No. 
Listen, I'll, I'll edit that out, you know. Yeah. You know what? Um, no, but it's like, it's so, it's such a spiritual way of looking at art. And then when we're, I guess, you know, it's interesting because I think, you know, I wonder how we're going to like truly, or maybe, maybe it doesn't have to be a movement, but at least in my mind, like how do we really truly break from that, from that world where it feels almost like if you're not doing that, that there's something wrong in a sense, you know? If you're not doing what? Not doing the guy with the goat, you know, and the violin. Oh, so I'm like, paint the guy with the goat on the violin. Just, you know, you know, paint it with, you know, paint it with oatmeal. Paint it with oatmeal? <laughs> just grab some oatmeal and just, what do you mean? Make an oatmeal goat. <laughs> but you can't do that. I'm a certain, oh, dude, 2017. Spray paint and oatmal. That, they say that's interesting. You're like, you know, yeah. the oatmeal goat with spray paint. Anyway, but... um. Is that going to be your next painting? <laughs> Actually, I've made a hundred of them <laughs> in my basement. Yeah. <laughs> Waiting for the exhibit, though. Wow. Edible paintings. Wow. No. You can one. eat the goat, but it's, it's vegan. It's vegan. Well, um, well, you know, there's a question of, well, you know, is the, the, the stuff called Jewish art, are there, are there new images? Let's say, okay, it's about, let's say it's about images. It's about Jewish images. Are there new images, you know? A lot of times we, all, we we often paint you know guys with black suits on and kippahs because they're more easily identified as a Jew, right? Um, you know, it's like well, I got to give the guy a beard and I got to give him you know black suit. It's like, are you just painting, you know, uh, yeshiva yeshiva communities? And it's like, well, I got to show he's Jewish in the image, hmm. but um, you know, Kit- Kitaj R B uh, that's his name Kitaj painted. He was a Jewish painter, and he painted stuff, and he didn't, he didn't paint this kind of iconography. Do you feel like you're associated as being a Jewish artist in general? Or Yeah, I mean, for people who know my paintings, I, you know, I lived in Israel for four years, and um, mm-hmm. I didn't get to finish my story in the beginning. I meant to say, when I went to Israel, mm-hmm. I, went to, I ran off to Muncie after grad school to, to study for a, a few weeks, and somebody slipped something in my drink, and it turned into about three years. <laughs> uh, happened to me, too. Yeah. And it was just a fantastic experience, like everyone's. And, and then I went, two years, and then I went to Israel to study for what was going to be a year and turned into four years. Mm-hmm. And when I was there, I ended up painting on the street. And I started growing as a painter. Painting wasn't my medium. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up walking down the street with a bunch of paintings. And I walked into a gallery, and I said, hey, want to look at my paintings? He's like, no. <laughs> we don't, we don't you know, just walk in and show you paintings. I was like, well, I walked, I walked all the way here, all the way over here. You got to look at them, you know? <laughs> He's like, I was like fighting with him. He's like, oh, get out of here, kid. <laughs> so he flipped through me. He's like, oh, I like these. And um, it is the most they Israel were two, story. They, they were two Hasidim who became businessmen and friends of mine. And they ended up selling my artwork uh-huh. for eight years. Oh, wow. So in Israel, I did some exhibits. I did exhibits at the Jerusalem Theater. I did a big Pesach exhibit. And I started doing larger pieces, seven-foot pieces. I did one of the Haggadah. I did a whole Haggadah exhibit. And um, yeah, people, the, the paintings that, sold or that people liked were things that were more ostensibly Jewish. Hmm. And the things that people didn't like, the naivety of my paintings, uh, the childlike qualities were things that other people loved. That other people loved. Yeah. You know, sometimes people need that. The guy, the guy works 90 hours a week. He's a banker, da-da-da. He wants, a, he wants, some colorful, he wants something colorful and li- lively on his wall. Hmm. You know, and that's, like we are talking before, that's his, his doorway into that part of himself that he has to hide away to survive in the world and sometimes they look to 
artists. They look to the music and the paintings we make to help them carry on and uh, to give them a little bit of strength um, with the, that, you know, that, that disassociated self. Awesome. Well, I think we're, we're almost at an hour, which yep. is awesome. <laughs> Thanks for sticking with me. Is there anything you want to plug before we take off? Uh, I just got this really bad joke. This guy told me the other day. Nothing to do with art, but I liked it. It's not, it's a, it's a kosher it. joke. As <laughs> <clears throat> a hexer? <laughs> yeah, it does. That's good. That's you. Um, I just, whatever. I like telling bad jokes. I know I'm getting older. I start telling bad, especially after I tell like a marriage <laughs> joke. It's like, a, whatever, these, <laughs> these, two these, uh, these two brothers are fighting and over this inheritance about which piece of land is theirs and where, where to draw the line. And they're really fighting and they go to this rabbi and they say, listen, help us make this decision. You know, we're both arguing. And he says, let me get this straight. So you say this is yours and you say this is yours. He goes, listen, why don't we just ask the land what it thinks? And they're like, what? Hmm. He's like, shh, let me, let me ask the land what it thinks. So he leans into the ground and he puts his ear to the ground. And they're like, what are you doing? He's like, shh. <laughs> and he goes, oh. He looks up, he goes, so you say it's yours, he says it's his, and the land says, in a few years, you'll both be mine. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. So I guess the, uh, the moral to, this, to the story is that uh, life is short and sweet, and uh, you know, enjoy your days. And, yeah. and if you're not an artist, you know, start picking something up. Not just painting. I'm, just, I'm, I'm very biased because I'm a painter. Painting is the greatest thing. Just do, be a painter. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and just grab that oatmeal and spray paint. Make your oatmeal goat tonight. Wow. And, um, and just you know, don't have any regrets. And look back in your life and say, man, I made some really bad art with this oatmeal spray paint goat. But I loved it. I had such joy. And find joy through art. And, uh, and just do it. Because one day you'll just, we're all going to be in the ground. We're not, we're not sure what's going to be afterwards. And, and art brings a lot of joy uh, to life. Yeah. That was great. I love how morbid that was. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned, you mentioned the near-death experience. Yeah, beautiful. Tired, tired. I love it. So good, Noah. Thank, Thank you, you so Thank much. Thank you for listening to HivriaCast. I'm Aladna Harai. If you'd like to hear more and read more of our work, you can follow us by going to hevria.com or facebook.com slash hevriamag. We've been recording at the Kalal Studios in New York City, and the music that you're hearing is Voice Lessons by Darshan. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing and hearing from you again. <laughs>